0: Nuclear. This field of science was responsible for the devastating conclusion to the Second World War. This alone would be enough to suggest why few other technologies conjure as much misunderstanding and fear. Today, the very same field now quietly supports our way of life by providing unique ways to interact with reality. It allows us to observe the world in impossibly fine resolution, it enables us to measure and gauge events of the distant past, offers options for diagnosis and treatment of severe ailments, and generates great power with exceptionally low carbon emissions. The greatest tool for promoting understanding is discussion, and it is well overdue in Australia. Welcome to Going Fishing, Australia's Nuclear Technology Discussion. Today's guest is my first international expatriate on going fishing. Amelia Tierman is an undergrad studying a Bachelor of Arts at Bard College in New York. Currently, she is studying abroad at the University of Melbourne. I thought I'd catch her before she goes back. Amelia, welcome to Going Fishing.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Good to have you here. All right. Why did you choose to study abroad, and how did you choose to come to the University of Melbourne?
1: Well, um, basically, I was at uni in the States in New York for three years. And so I was in my second semester of my third year. And I decided I wanted to study abroad for a little bit, just to kind of get a change of pace, um, experience another country. It's quite common in the States, I think, for students to spend at least a semester or a year abroad, um, typically in Europe, sometimes in Australia, um, sometimes elsewhere. So. Yeah, I'd been to Australia before. Um, I have cousins here in Melbourne um, so that made it an easier decision. Um, I was sort of like googling like universities in Melbourne um, and yeah so I just picked uh, Uni-Melb and decided to come over and I really loved it. I loved the change of pace. Um, I was really used to like a small liberal arts college with around like 3,000 students so This is a huge change for me. I'm not sure exactly how many people are here, but definitely in the tens of thousands. So it was different for me and the big lectures were something I hadn't really experienced before. Um, And then I decided to actually extend and stay another semester, um, which was another good decision. And I think I've, I don't know, I think I've really like grown from just being on my own but I was already kind of used to being you know, far from home because I went across the country. <laughs> like 17-year-old me wanted to go across the country for uni in the first place.
0: So um, where was 17-year-old you from?
1: <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I'm from California, from the Bay Area. Um, and my school that I selected is in upstate New York. It's called Bard College. And yeah, I just wanted to get away from mom and dad Um, go super far away to the cold, (laughs) depressing winter. And I really wanted to do that. And yeah, and my mom's family is actually like, mostly from that upstate like Westchester area. So it's quite near the school. So I still had like a bit of a support network, but I felt super independent at the time. (laughs) And um, yeah, so I've just kind of been like really far from home for a long time. I kind of just want to go home. (laughs)
0: A little, bit for a little bit,
1: yeah. When I get home, my mom's like, like whenever I get home, she's like, oh, what can I feed you? Like what dinners <laughs> do you want when you get home? And she like wants to take care of me. And then after about three days of that, she's like, why don't you do the dishes? <laughs> <laughs> like do some housework for once. Yeah.
0: Nice. It's always nice to get home. <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah. All right. I'm not super familiar with what constitutes a Bachelor of Arts, but all I know is that arts covers a very broad portfolio of, uh, of intellectual thought. Can you tell us a bit about your degree and what you study more specifically?
1: Um, yeah, so I the name of my major is environmental and urban studies. So I think they um, purposely made it quite broad um, of a subject, and it's classified as interdisciplinary studies, I guess. Um, so I think in the States, I'm not really sure how it works here, but they sort of divide it at least at liberal arts universities, which is, I guess, a type of university approach or format. Um, They divide it into like Bachelor of Science, which is more strictly like STEM, and then Bachelor of Arts, which is kind of everything else, like the humanities, um, social studies, stuff like that. So my, so like environmental studies falls into that category of arts, because it's just, uh, it's very like multi breadth, I guess. So um, you can kind of choose any path in that subject, I guess. You can go more like a conservation, ecology route, if that's what you're interested in. And my focus is more of like economics and policy and development, which is what it's called. Um, But there's like nine different concentrations within that. So it's really broad. You can do urban planning. And um, yeah, that was something that originally like made me gravitate toward that subject because I started with biology just thinking that I liked it and um in my first year of uni I wanted to do biology I thought and then as soon as I got into the labs I was like so bad at doing labs it wasn't for you it wasn't for me I was like always the last person to finish and then I'd have to go in after hours and like figure out how to like electric shock a tadpole and i just didn't understand like what was going on like the instructions were so easy it was like w- like biology 101 and i just couldn't figure it out and it stressed me out like working under a time crunch it was super stressful i'd rather just like sit in my room and write a paper for 20 hours so that's kind of how i gravitated toward like the more political side and i liked the the um like, kind of politics behind environment. Um, I liked how those things met. I liked, like, the bridge between those two um, sides or, or disciplines. So, yeah, I just liked that. I took a couple of classes that were more of, like, the policy side. Um, so I just switched over my major in environmental studies, like, the second semester. It was really easy. And I'd already gotten my science requirement out of the way <laughs> from the failed biology class. Well, I didn't fail. I got like a
0: C. Right, but you—you you, you focus. You <laughs> very much so bad like. You very much like the uh, the the policy or the, yeah. the, the the thinky thinky side of it, as opposed to the touchy feely side. <laughs> I <of it>.
1: guess. <laughs> yeah, but I still like biology and animals and stuff. I just might not do it in the lab. I might go outside. They're like, oh, just go in the environment. Look at some trees. <laughs> That's for me for sure.
0: No worries. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to quote a tweet of yours. So less than two years ago, I thought nuclear reactor meant atomic bomb that can wipe out a city. Later, I vaguely remembered people saying nuclear power has a lot of problems and immediately rejected it. It's interesting and informative to think back to what that was like. Can you take us on this journey (laughs) down the nuclear rabbit hole for yourself?
1: Oh, no. Um, I don't know how much of a journey it was, but yeah, it was really that sad at the beginning. I, like, thought nuclear, just the word nuclear, had to do with weapons, because that's what I learned in American history class in high school, when you learn about World War II, and um, yeah, so I just, the connotation was there in my mind, I didn't know anything else, you know, I'd never heard about nuclear power being a clean energy source, for some reason I just (laughs) didn't know what that was, Um, and then I remember learning a little bit about it, I think I asked my mom, And she knows quite a lot about nuclear, so that's another reason I got into it, is because of her. Um, So I asked her, like, basically what it was and why people were opposed to it. I think I don't really remember a specific time frame about when that was, but probably in my first year or so at university. And um, she was like, "Yeah, it's this really great technology, and just um, you know, it's been used for decades, but people don't like to talk about it because of prejudice." And being from a Jewish family, people always talk about prejudice every single day. So I was kind of familiar with that. And um, yeah, and then I asked about it in class, I think. And my teacher was like, uh, oh, you shouldn't have asked that question or something like that, like some really dismissive remark. And she was like, oh, I don't remember what she said just something really sarcastic and I was like so is that dismissive
0: even from an educational institution
1: yeah I was like oh so this educator basically dismissed my question like it must not be a valid topic in this discipline um
0: and yeah and this was sorry this was in high school or this was in university this is
1: university like my first year of
0: like my professor of environmental studies said
1: this just straight out dismissed it straight away like that. It's really <laughs> yeah, and I was 18, so I was really sad. I was like, "Oh, she hates me. <laughs> we're gonna fail this class." But that was what I was always thinking. Um, yeah, but yeah, so I just didn't learn any more about it from there. I learned about renewables, and I learned about the concept of sustainable development and like green growth and all of that stuff. Um, and that was kind of what they were pushing in class. They were saying like. You know, sustainable development's the answer, and greening technologies is the answer. But nuclear didn't have a place in that. And that trend kind of continued throughout my college years, I think. Um, Just every environmental studies course I took would say we have to, um, like, shrink our footprints and um, minimize our impact impact and our output and just... Minimize what we're doing in ourselves and our presence on the earth, basically. Um, And so there's this whole idea of like shrinking and decreasing and minimizing and conserving. Um, And so when I was introduced to like the potential of nuclear power and what it's already done in the world, I was like, why is this not something that people talk about if it has the potential to power the world without? Us needing to just constantly be focused on conserving um, and living, like, I guess, more like life, lifestyles that are
0: less impactful, I guess, or it know. seems to be the way you've described it, and I think this is relevant. Yeah is that if the conversation about, you know, greening technology is about reducing the amount of impact we have and you have something like uranium, which has an insane energy density that can be harnessed, that does not fit with the model of environmental conservation that has been taught or that is being taught.
1: Exactly. It's totally inconsistent. It's like a completely different paradigm And. Yeah, there's definitely a model of conservation, and um, I guess, yeah, sustainability would be the best word for it. Like, you hear the word sustainability all the time, and it's like, what does that really mean? And I guess the most popular definition is um, making sure that resources are available for us and future generations. But if we think about the definition of that, like, nuclear is. Inherently sustainable, or it makes operations that we have to do on Earth to survive sustainable because we don't need to be polluting in order to sustain ourselves, and we don't need to be, um, you know, baking the planet, and we don't need to be exhausting our
0: resources that we have on Earth for energy there's so many things that it solves you know? it's a resource like anything else but i think it's it's kind of othered yeah people consider it oh it's 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 something evil, something exactly to be feared and something. that's because of prejudice
1: it's all because of prejudice it's because of past events that have caused people to fear and i totally understand that and so when i said in that tweet like i immediately rejected it, it was because this one teacher just happened to say no that's something you shouldn't be thinking about and doesn't it's not consistent with the theme of this course. Um, and just from her and probably some other people I asked, I was like, oh, okay. Well, then that's what I'm thinking now. <laughs> that's what I believe. And that's how beliefs develop,
0: okay. I think. But you still must have challenged that in some way to, become, to get to the pro-nuclear stance that you hold now.
1: Yeah. And I can credit my mom with a lot of that. She kind of just explained a lot of it to me. Um, and so your
0: mother... <laughs> that had the nuclear conversation it with was my mom that yeah. your teacher refused to engage in
1: <laughs> yeah kind of, it's kind of the opposite now you think of like kids educating their parents but yeah it was my mom she knew all about the technology she's very um, like environmentally engaged in our community back home um, and she's a really cool lady <laughs> basically yeah she <clears throat> she's um, she was in her career was in technology um, she was sort of like in the finance side of technology startups so she knows all about like kind of the up and coming and the what's the best thing that we should be looking at for the future and i think that's nuclear is something that's really interested her for a long time so yeah i give her like all the credit for sparking my interest for sure um but i did have to like read a lot of articles and read books and you know there was no course material that i could turn to and be like oh I can learn from this, and, like, I can learn about this from my courses. And I just had this moment of being, like, how much of these classes can I really take at face value? And so I'm really grateful that university gave me this kind of knowledge, I guess, and inadvertently that I shouldn't really take anything at face value, that I learn. I should always be questioning. Um, And even though they are professional educators, you know, you have to learn – um, what's valuable information and what's something that you can take and be like I'm not so sure about that how can I read more and how can I learn more and that's different from just outwardly being like oh they're wrong because if I said that like, things it wouldn't turn faster. out so well either Yeah, <laughs> which I even learned this semester I mean I didn't do so well on a paper about nuclear that I wrote um, which I was a bit pissed off about but it's okay <laughs> I'm over it now um, yeah but I don't know. No one is like above questioning, you know. Like no one is really immune from being questioned. Um, especially environmentalists should always be questioned. Um, I
0: don't know. I'm going. To this. It, it sounds like that you've challenged a position that's been held at the educational institution, and you've received a bit of pushback for it, which might not be right, and it might not be a uh, the way things should be. But that's. Yeah. The way it sort of panned out, yeah. That's but, just um, the way it is. Having said that, you've still gone and done ultimately what you're supposed to do at a university. You've gone out, you've had a position. You thought, right, I'm going to look into this. I'm going to read something about it. Mm-hmm. You had that conversation with yourself and recorded materials, books, and whatnot that was being discouraged by right. teachers or by yeah. the course or by the faculty. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, thank you. <laughs> Look, it's not ideal, but um, I think it takes a certain amount of courage to actually... And when you're young, when you're 17 or 18, getting a knockback like that from a teacher, that can, that can be impactful, that can hurt. And um, to actually challenge that, I think, is quite courageous. Oh,
1: thank you. You've
0: been involved with Generation Atomic, the brainchild of Eric Meyer, the world's leading pro-nuclear opera singer. Can yes. you tell us about what you did with this?
1: Yes, he did in fact beat out all the other world leading pro nuclear opera singers, <laughs> and he is number one, reigning king of opera singing. Pro nuclear. I think space. he's writing like a pro
0: nuclear opera. It's it wouldn't of- surprise me. I've seen some of his video clips, and uh, there's yeah. one that I think he released very recently, which was I forget what he calls it, but it's it's a rewrite of Elvis's. I think, Now or Never ballad, and he rewrote (laughs) it to be, oh, you'll have to look it up. He's he's found archival footage of EBR, the experimental reader reactor, and called it Clean Power Forever. (laughs) And he sings it in his his absolute operatic mastery, and it's actually very funny. (laughs) Uh, It was very good. (laughs) What is Generation Atomic, and what were you doing for them?
1: Uh, So Generation Atomic is a grassroots advocacy organization that is trying to mobilize, and I think this is their motto, to mobilize and empower um, the young generation about nuclear energy and clean energy in general, but specifically nuclear energy. And they started around two years ago, I'm not exactly sure, December 2016, I think. Um, so right around the time that they started I think they were looking for kind of students to help them with um, their advocacy and campaigning in universities in the US and since I had met Eric before when I was volunteering for him for the um, uh, March for New- or March for Environmental Hope in San Francisco um, I just kind of did some little side work like organizing and sending him spreadsheets
0: and um, it wasn't that big of a deal what's uh, what was the um the march for environmental hope tell us about that uh
1: i think uh i think it's organized by eric and uh, michael Schillenberger yep. put it together so it was a hope or a march that happened in like three or four u.s cities i think there's one in san francisco chicago and new york and maybe somewhere else couple of years ago and they just it was a pro-nuclear environment rally so it was like they called it the first ever pro-nuclear pro-environment rally so it was kind of the first of its kind it's pretty cool and they just gathered together like um different pro-nuclear organizations um and including the mothers for nuclear they're a really cool organization um and yeah so i just kind of participated in that and wanted to see what it was about and it was really cool and that also sparked my interest in it um and yeah I can definitely credit my mom with a lot of stuff because she made the introduction to Eric for me and that's how it all started that was that sweet yeah it was very (laughs) sweet my mom's the best
0: so you had a bit of um you were involved in a bit of a road trip to Ohio third generation (laughs) atomic were you not yeah would you like to tell us about (laughs) that
1: Oh, my God, it's so embarrassing. It wasn't even a road trip. It was just me taking the train for 12 hours <laughs> from New York, from Bard to Ohio. It was, like, right when my summer break started, I forget, uh, two years ago? Yep. Um, yeah, they were in Ohio and Pennsylvania doing some campaigning for the nuclear plants that are, were under threat of closing prematurely there. Right. So there's... I think three plants in Ohio and they were all going to be shut down early unless there was legislation passed preventing it and they were there trying to attend the community like county fairs um, and run like advocacy booths and get um, postcards and signatures and they were doing a really great job there was this entire team they were canvassing they were doing these booths and they were sending off like, thousands of postcards to the local legislators, like the state Senate. Um, yeah. So they were like, yeah, we're here. Like, come join us if you want. But I was really far away. Um, but, yeah, I was just kind of crazy, and so I decided to go.
0: And you they, right. Get a train ticket, jump right. on a train. I'll see you there tomorrow Get morning. Get the
1: Amtrak, see you at 6 a.m. <laughs> they picked me up. there in oh, this nice. Airbnb with, like, eight people. And, yeah, I was so excited because I had no friends. Like, I had nothing to do <laughs> when I got home. And I didn't want to go home yet to my
0: parents. So. so what was the risk? What was the reasoning that these plants in Ohio were facing to be shut down?
1: Um, it's really just, like, misguided policymaking and also environmental groups like Greenpeace – like you know
0: doing advocacy anti nuclear movement
1: anti nuclear movement and um yeah it's like
0: so it's not a technical reason they're not unsafe oh, no. they're it's, not unsafe
1: at all they were like very prematurely being shut down like decades before they they were even like supposed to um be out of operating be decommissioned yeah because that's
0: com- that well that's very significant for a um for nuclear power specifically because they are very capital intensive. They're cheap to run but once you've built it, if you run it out to 60 or 80 or You've
1: made back all that money times 100 like (sighs) saving on electricity bills. It's not like if they say it's an economical decision, it's not. That's a a very misguided thing to say because first of all there's thousands of jobs in that industry um, billions of dollars in electricity bills for these are just like local people that work at the power plants and that pay regular electricity bills and so people don't know that that's happening so we would be at these booths like telling people um like, you know it's what this average. is ha- yeah exactly um like do you know how much carbon emissions is going to happen if like these plants go under and do you know how much more you'll have to pay in electricity bills and and those communities are really sustained by the power plants like it's basically the economy in those towns and people were like shocked to find that out but some people obviously work there and they're like um yeah i know all about this this is my job that's at stake and we'd have like some little kids be like please save the plants on the postcard they would write like save the plants because it's my dad's job and like i don't want him to lose his job so it's good community engagement and that's what Jenna is all about. Like
0: they just wanna um, make it more broadly known the role this yeah. technology plays and should play.
1: Yeah, and they they don't want to frame climate change as like this big disaster, even though you know it kind of is a big disaster, but they don't want to they don't want that to be their like mantra that we have to save ourselves from ourselves. They kind of wanna be like, look, there's this technology here and this possibility. And anybody can be a part of the movement. And it was a really positive thing.
0: It seems like a good idea because it's about, okay, well, nuclear power is low emissions and can fight climate change. But these are all the other things, an intelligent, well-thought-out investment in the community right. that it can offer. And I think that's actually a very good idea. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a positive story. It's, this is an opportunity. This is something that can, that can benefit a community. Mm.
1: Yeah, of course. It's very positive. And it's not even something that has to be invested in like financially because it's already been Oh yeah, the existing plans. in the sense of yep. yeah, they are already existing. So like closing them down is a much bigger change than not closing them down. And
0: keeping them running.
1: Like there's no implications like negative implications from keeping them running. But they're shutting down even though there's no real reason to and that's where there's misinformation, and that's as a result
0: of poor government policy or poor energy yeah. policy.
1: Yeah,
0: misguided. And that's something energy I think policy. we have here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I could say you guys
1: or, have a little bit of misguided
0: energy policy. Uh, oh, I'm a no bit expert, more than a little bit, but yeah, yes. <laughs> yes, All right, very good. Look, well, you were also you spoke at the eighth Thorium Energy Alliance <laughs> conference in Saint Louis. Um, what's the Thorium Energy Alliance?
1: So the Thorium Energy Alliance is the leading organization in the U.S. that is trying to promote um, thorium for nuclear fuel, which doesn't currently exist in reactors today, but will potentially in next-generation reactors or fourth-generation reactors. Um, So the organization is run by John Kutch, and it's a coalition of industry people and engaged people. And um, there was the eighth conference in St. Louis and Generation Atomic wanted to be part of it cause um, they love that group. And we just wanted to, I said I spoke there but I didn't really speak. I was sort of part of like a presentation, like a group presentation where we kind of spoke about what we did. And then we led these little breakout sessions or everyone wrote like letters to the editor. Um, Uh, for Ohio. It was like fake because they couldn't actually write it because they weren't like residents of Ohio. It was just a practice kind of. And people had never done that before so they were like, oh this is fun maybe I'll do this where I live.
0: Okay, so you were representing or you were representing Generation Atomic at that particular event.
1: Yeah, I was just there kind of to see what was up and what was going on and what those conferences were like and meet people and it was a lot of fun and I was um, kind of in that area anyway because my dad's from St.
0: Louis so that was fun nice cool alright well let's talk a little bit about the US and the USA uh, the US and the Australian energy market you guys have just shy of 100 operational nuclear power reactors biggest fleet in the world Australia has none we've outlawed building them (laughs) furthermore the USA has 50 operational research reactors and we've got one now I won't be offended by any honest criticism, but how does this? How how do you reconcile this? How do you see this as a as a U.S. observer or uh, living in Australia? What does this say to you?
1: Well, um, I wouldn't say I've really lived in Australia long enough to be an expert on your guys' energy policies, but um, just being a student, I think, and taking an environmental politics subject here. Um, I've gotten to learn enough about it that I can draw some comparisons. So get, get ready. Foot. No, I'm just kidding. Rice I'm ready. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just interesting to learn because, like, obviously, there's some ways that you can compare U.S. and Australia. and some ways, that they're really different. Um, in the sense that we're both like a liberal democracy, I guess. Like, environmental policies are kind of passed in a similar way it's not the same because you have a parliamentary system but anyway i don't really know the details but um i do know that like our respective like adoption of international law has been very different um i think you guys didn't sign on to kyoto protocol right away and then once you did it was like to get more emissions past like so that you could, wanted to
0: weaken the target you wanted to, be, to
1: pollute more or something like that but the u.s isn't much better because like we know that like bush didn't want to sign it either and then that set the precedent for everything and um yeah i think the u.s or australia kind of like followed in the u.s footsteps of like not s- signing stuff
0: um if i or challenging the, correctly. challenging the challenging well, the we're yeah. running a we're running a nation here, and it's currently still being powered by fossil fuels. Yeah, it's like all coal here. Isn't yeah, it? A, uh, a large percent? part of it is coal. I think it's sixty or sixty five. It's pretty high, and then there's a large portion of gas on top of that. Yeah, and cool. yes, we have some wind, and we have some solar, and we have a bit of oil. And if you yeah. if you go to a mining town, they'd probably run it all off diesel. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a um, and it's also separate grids as well. We've got the national electricity market. Mm-hmm. From my understanding in the US, it's one grid. Everything's connected. Yeah. And I think you even uh, connect to parts of Canada as well. Probably. I think so. I'm not sure. But we have several grids. We've got the NEM, which connects Tasmania, South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales, and Queensland. Mm. Uh, Perth has their own grid. And also Northern Territory uh, – sorry, not Northern Territory, the um, Darwin has their own system as well. Mm. So, And then if you've got any other mining town – Karatha or Weeper or whatnot, they're on their own. They've got to manage themselves. So we've got a very... We've got a... We've not got one grid. We've got multiple systems going around, which I... um,
1: Yeah. And there's lots of mining towns that are like... The entire economy is based around the mining. Absolutely, yeah. So then that wouldn't... Like, they'd be very affected
0: if mines were to close down. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, those... I mean, for example, you look at something like... um, Think Caratha, which is uh, Rio Tinto, iron ore, and there's what's the other one out that way? BHP runs it, Port Hedland. Mm. Um, they're mining companies, yeah. Uh, they're not so much a government that's going to sign onto treaties and whatnot, they are running a mine, they need a fuel source that is going to work, yes. and so that's going to be whatever they can get their hands on it's gonna economically,
1: <laughs> yeah. What exists. Mm. What works.
0: and I, um, I think, yeah, some of these, are, um, if small modular reactors, I think that's definitely a market that's a um Australia could benefit from mm-hmm. having a um, access to these small systems, of nuclear clean or you know, very low emission, um, or life cycle, or cycle emission. That's definitely something that a lot of these companies could, uh, could embrace, especially if the business case was made for them,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. And it doesn't require like changing the entire grid to be like you know to support to support like solar you kind of can just plug nuclear into the existing grid Mm.
0: mind you some some mines I believe uh, I think Olympic Dam I think has put together has or is in the process of putting together a large solar plant and I also know Weeper is that a a
1: uranium mine
0: it's a polymetallic mine uranium is a byproduct of theirs but it's 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 kind of funny that it's one of the largest deposits of uranium (laughs) and it's still just a byproduct for them really it's a massive mine but also another one in Weeper. They, again, they've there. It's a very small town, large mine, small town. Uh, I think it's six diesel generators, which is about 24, 24 megawatt total capacity. But they've actually put in a solar farm because they've been able to make a business case for it to actually displace some of that daily use of the diesel generator. So they will do it yeah. if you can make a um if you can make a business case for it. That technology which has relevance. Technology? Renewables yeah. or, or, or any any other technology. I mean, it's not that they're 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 bloody minded. And they're going to use coal or fossil fuels. Right. Uh, it's economical. But it's... if you can make a case for it, they're going to do it. And if yeah, a small modular reactor could fit or could be small enough for something like Vapor, mm-hmm. um, and you can make a business case for it, yeah, they'd love to do that because yeah. it costs them an absolute fortune. Not just to burn all the diesel yeah. but to actually get it all there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting.
1: fourth generation reactors are super exciting. Like Terrestrial is like in their final process of grant applications or something, and they're gonna release their IMSR. Yeah, I believe IMSR, right? The so integral Molten integral salt reactor. Integral Molten salt reactor.
0: Which is basically as far as I know a unit, and it's all in one together, and you plug it in and you s- kick it You're off ready and you start it
1: and you can run them off conveyor belts and make a million of them.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, factory factory manufactured. Yeah. Manufacturing. yeah. Yep, definitely. Large scale
1: manufacturing.
0: Okay. Look, we'll come to a... Um, uh, let's see, where are we? So, yeah, coming back to our government. So the structure of our respective go- respective governments are quite similar insofar as they're mostly two-party democracies. Um, so actually, let's compare sort of how each of our parties sort of view nuclear technology. What sort of, in the States, do you see as the political acceptance of climate change?
1: Um, you mean like
0: partisan acceptance? Yeah, just how, do, how does sort of the uh, uh, the Democrats versus the GAP, what's the general consensus on how do you see it? How do you see the uh, uh, the political landscape Yeah. In, interacting uh-huh. with this particular topic?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, so I would say just the Democrats are more likely to believe in climate change or just cite it as one of the main concerns that we should be looking at in the next decade or so than the GOP is. And I think Republicans are more likely to push away, um, like ideas for legislating about climate. That's just been the trend. Um, But kind of paradoxically, it's the other way around for acceptance of nuclear power because there's a very strong correlation with um, people who are environmentally minded, uh, kind of disagreeing with nuclear power, um, not approving of nuclear power as an energy source because they believe that it is a polluter a polluter to the environment and it's a health hazard. Um, whereas um, if you're more in the GOP camp and you're less concerned with climate change and more with um, maybe you think that there will be um, economic impacts of making climate legislation, like threatening jobs and the fossil fuel industry, um, then you're probably more likely, (laughs) just based on trends, they're probably more likely to favor nuclear power because in a way it's very economical and it fits into that framework. So there's like almost a negative correlation, I think research has shown. And that's very similar in Australia with the respective Like, left and right-wing
0: parties. Definitely. We Yeah, the Labor Party. took me a long
1: time to explain, sorry. You know what I'm talking
0: (laughs) about. No, I think it's definitely mirrored here when you look at the Labor Party. I think it was, well, I think it was on Twitter when Scott Morrison, who's our current Prime Minister, um, came out and said, look, I would have no problem with nuclear power if you can make the economic stack up.
1: Right.
0: Okay, fine. Straight away, (laughs) Bill Shorten comes out on Twitter and says, oh, no way, forget about it. Remember Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. The, oh, God, that is Yeah, such what about a, Chernobyl? That's such a... Oh, and he said What about because, the waste? Yeah. That's a, and that's the thing cool. was, his argument was, well, they're now building a solar plant in Chernobyl. You know, I said, well, <laughs> yeah, it's one megawatt. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's one megawatt uh, solar plant in Chernobyl. It might be expanded to be 100 megawatts. But you look at Chernobyl, Chernobyl the four reactors there uh, scaled up to about 3.8. gigawatts. You know, there's no comparison beyond um, a very sort of nebulous, uh, uh, a very nebulous. What do you call it? Just a a symbolism change that they're putting solar there. Um, Yeah,
1: it's kind of like, what world are these examples coming from? uh, Yeah, why can't we just use like actual examples? I don't know.
0: They, yeah, it's very much part of the discussion that it that derails nuclear is that it's very much a knee jerk reaction. Think about this. Engage with the fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that'll be the end of the conversation. But it's actually been very interesting in Australian politics because, okay, Labor's been traditionally anti-nuclear, but they accept, you know, the front-end mining right. and export of the uranium, which is another hilarious thing in international <laughs> hypocrisy. Um, and you've got the Liberals have always sort of been, yeah, pro-nuclear. We'd be in favour of this, but they're also they're very coy about pushing that agenda because, you know, they, they fear what the backlash from the voters will be. Right. And so the conversation just doesn't happen. Now, it's, energy is becoming a real hot-button topic in Australia, I believe. And it's interesting that our one of our splinter independent parties, the Australian Conservatives, really is beating this drum at the moment. So Corey Bernardi, again, hilarious, I believe he's on the record as being a climate, changed, a climate change denier, yeah. has actually come out with this report that he's managed to, or a white paper that he's managed to commission from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, advocating for nuclear power—a nuclear power station in South Australia—to desalinate water to grow crops for export. And in this case, they've chosen potatoes, which I think actually that one of the funniest things that came out on Twitter was someone said, "Oh, you mean atomic potatoes for reaching critical mash? <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible joke, and it's absolutely brilliant. Oh my god, I love a potato <laughs> pun. But, yeah, it's, it's mind-boggling that a, essentially a hard-right splinter party, which is often considered to be you know, the people that don't care and are all about uh, economics and screw the environment, have actually come forth with a method of introducing nuclear power into Australia, which is a clean source of, e- a clean source of energy, and here's a way it can benefit our economy by growing potatoes.
1: <laughs> I mean, whatever works, eh?
0: Right? Yeah, definitely. Look, I'd.
1: More McDonald's for everyone.
0: (laughs) I'd be all for atomic potatoes for South Australia.
1: Yeah, that sounds really good. (laughs) You put extra chili sauce on them, they'd be extra atomic.
0: Atomic atomic, atomic French fries. I mean, like, you would eat that, right? Damn straight potato cake.
1: Yeah. Drop (laughs) it in a
0: reactor, (laughs) I would still eat it. Alrighty, (laughs) cool. So, anyway, I have to broach this subject. Don't mention any names, but. Would you be willing to talk about anti-nuclear ideology in Australian education? Uh oh, this yeah. is because
1: of my tweeting, huh? A
0: little bit, yeah.
1: Yeah, I got a little bit into like the Twitter. I just like kind of had like some Twitter tantrums, like after <laughs> I had encountered. Well, no, I'm totally kidding. Um, yeah, you were venting
0: some frustration. I was
1: venting frustration. I just wanted to see what the reaction was and then for some reason I got this big reaction and I was like, oh, people are really cheering me on. This is kind of nice. Like, it sounds like I'm giving her a bunch of attitude, but really I'm just kind of like scared of talking to her about my essay. Sorry, who's... who's <laughs> oh, here? sorry. My, you know, my teacher that graded my essay that right, I not gotcha. do so well on.
0: So, so where did this all, all sort of start? It came about from a particular anyway, yeah. assessment piece, yeah? Um,
1: yeah. I mean, kind cool. of. I... I'm taking, so I took environmental politics, or uh, yeah, global environmental politics this year and environmental law, just because I kind of wanted more of the background in Australia. Yep. Um, so it was interesting, but just they wouldn't talk about nuclear in the class, which was to be expected. You know, I wasn't like, I was outraged and I was like always asking questions because I'm pretty shy in class, um, but I was just kind of observing. And I would ask a question here or there. And I encountered some um, course materials. Um, one of the readings was from the ACF, the Australian... Conservation, Conservation. Foundation, um,
0: yep. Also anti-nuclear. Right,
1: very anti-nuclear. And the article was... Should I talk about the specific article? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so it's called Yellow Cake Whitewash, and it was about how millions of tons of toxic uranium slurry is being dripped into the um, or being uh, spilled into aboriginal territory as it's being uh, transported for export Right. so that was the article Um, and basically the kind of topic for discussion for that day in class is why um, we're infringing upon native title rights when we um, pollute, um, like Aboriginal sacred sites, or just <laughs> drop our radioactive sludge into um, like Aboriginal territory. And this is,
0: sort of comes <laughs> back. Yeah, I'm sorry. When you frame it that way, it you can make a really terrible sounding story. It
1: sounded terrible. Literally, the first sentence was like just after like thousands of tons of radioactive sludge was being dumped. Like it literally, that was the um,
0: language that was being used. But I bet what they're not saying is that, okay, well they're, they're either talking about the, the processed uranium yellow that's being sent to export, or they're talking about the tailings left over, which is, uh, what well, left over from the mining process, which is technically still radioactive, and there are trace amounts of uranium okay. left over. But,
1: but it's not it's any not... more dangerous than tailings from coal mining.
0: Exactly. It's, there is radioactivity in there, but there's radioactivity everywhere, everywhere in the world. You've yeah. just taken...
1: Yeah.
0: And, and that's the thing. It's, it's become... The anti-nuclear movement has been very successful, successful at making the word radioactive a binary. Yeah. It's radioactive or it's not. And if it's radioactive, it's... It's from it's uranium. It's terrible. Yeah. When...
1: And it's not the element of uranium. That's the only thing that's radioactive. That's how radioactive means radioactivity comes from any element that's decaying and a lot of byproducts from other types of mining like coal mining for instance have byproducts that are just as radioactive from different elements um you know i'm not a chemist or anything but I, i understand how
0: that works the uranium decay chain, like there's yeah. you start with uranium, it decays into something else and decays into something else. And it goes to about 15 different steps. One of them is radon, which is everywhere in the world. So it's yeah. radioactive <laughs> gas it just comes straight out of the ground.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, no one seems to freak out about that. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's not entirely true. There are regulations around the world mm-hmm. in regards to basements and how you vent ra- uh, radon gas from certain areas. But yeah, it's... Radiation exists in the world. It's not just. And I a think a lot
1: of the radiation they might be talking about is from radon. When they talk about radioactive decay near the mining sites, right?
0: Um, it's definitely it's definitely yeah, a contributing sure. factor. Um, but radon's significant because it becomes a gas and then it just comes straight out of the ground. Yeah. Um, no one's really concerned about you know something that's radioactive that's in the ground that you're not going to if it's alpha radiation, which a lot of the time it is. It's it's not going to get through yeah. all the overburden on the top. Um, radon's different; comes out of the ground until it decays again and falls back to earth. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's a re- it's everywhere in your environment.
1: <laughs> we'll attach uh, required reading about this. <laughs>
0: yeah, fair enough.
1: Um, but
0: I bet that required reading wasn't part of that particular no. uh, class study.
1: Yeah, so that reading, i um, it. So the like class topic was well, what do we do when like rights, property rights are infringed upon. And so that's a perfectly valid legal topic that you talk about in class. It's very interesting. The whole subject of native title is interesting to me and uh, honestly very weird. Like when we learned about it, it was like, well, native title exists, but only until people decide that it can be extinguished, which can be anytime. So it's like this thing that exists in Australian law, but. Um, there's, like, different ways that you can just decide to go use native lands for any purpose and just suddenly, like, arbitrarily decide that the law's extinguish. It's Anyway, it's really interesting stuff, and it's, like, kind of depressing and kind of weird. <laughs> no offense to Australians. Cool. But yeah, it was interesting to learn about. But anyway, I just didn't think that this topic about uranium was really germane to that debate because there's you know, Australia wouldn't just be allowed to dump radioactive waste into the environment. That would be against the law.
0: Yeah, we did a little bit of that early on with our Rum Jungle oh, as really? a mine. Yeah. It was a really terribly run mine. So but, maybe that's uh, where this a lot of it would be um, from. But this is the thing. You knew, well, this is the way I see it. Nuclear is a uh, it's still quite a young industry. It wasn't you know, it was the what, forty well, it came out at the end of World War II. When you're building a new industry, you're going to make mistakes early on, and they've been made. You know, there are toxic places like Sellafield, like Hanford. You know, making nuclear weapons was a pretty pretty dirty <laughs> business. Um, and even in Australia, you know, some of, I think one of our first mines was Rum Jungle, and that was really poorly managed. But mm. you learn from that, and that's yeah, true for any industry. You know, you go back far enough, there are some really polluted places in the world that have nothing to do with radiation. But that's why you develop regulations, you develop standards, you develop uh, capabilities of being able to manage these things. And Okay, I get that not everything's always perfect 100% of the time, but if you want to live in a developed nation, such as we do at the moment, um, you need to have industry. Mm -hmm. Industry manages potentially dangerous energies every day, and most of the time they do a pretty good job of it. When things go wrong, and they do go wrong, yes, you have to learn from that. But a, um, just to simply—and this is a thing that that does irk me—just to simply rule out nuclear technology because of radiation or something. It's just another form of waste. It's, we have another form of waste that has some very specific uh, characteristics, yeah. but it still forms part of our world that we want to, that we all take advantage of. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I think well, part of that is having a conversation about it and helping people understand the risks and the challenges, but to also understand about well, to understand more about what it is and what it is, and try and yeah. step away from the boogeyman <laughs> of the nuclear monster or the fear that's been entrenched yeah, in the, into the culture.
1: Kind of be emotionally detached from it is mm. a big part of it. You know that's hard to do because there's a lot of emotional baggage that has to do with the word nuclear,
0: and with nuclear
1: power, and with nuclear weapons. And honestly, if we change the name, maybe that would make it. A you know, I
0: have I've discussed this with people before. because maybe we need to go back to using atomic? Or yeah, something atomic. But I, then you
1: think atomic bomb.
0: Yeah, and this is and this is a thing where I um that i push back because when people say oh nuclear and i say well nuclear is just the name of a science right <laughs> it is the study of the nucleus of The actual occurrence that yeah. happens in every star in the universe it is the study of the nucleus of an atom if yeah. you describe it like that all of a sudden it sounds way less scary yes you can have nuclear weapons you can also have nuclear science mm. you can have um what do they call it it's um a radiation treatment for food which is done worldwide and considered uh, a suitable alternative to chemical and heat treatments when it comes to um, when it comes to uh, treating food for export and for lo- uh, for shelf life and whatnot. Um, so yeah it's uh, I, th- I don't think we should run away from the word nuclear I think it should be reclaimed from That's those right. who would use it to use it as a, as a, as a fear point. Yeah. That's nuclear, that's dangerous. No, that's nuclear, that's a science. <laughs> it's just chemistry and physics. Chemistry, it's yeah, like physics, nuclear chemistry, there are nuclear chemists, there are nuclear physicists. Um, it is an application of science, it's not the apocalypse.
1: And what you said before about um, it just being a different form of waste with different characteristics, like it's also important to just know really the science of what's going on and like where the waste is stored, what happens to it once it's stored, the quantity of it, um, because, you know, this teacher would say like, well, waste is something that you really have to figure out what you're going to do with and it's something that has to be addressed if you're ever going to do academic analysis about nuclear power. That's something my teacher said to me. I'd agree with that. So I was like, yeah, absolutely, you're right, but (laughs) it's not really a hard thing to address because... Like, it's literally easy to say what happens to it, you know?
0: It's not. On that logic, and this is a uh, a point of contention that no one seems to argue, but what do you do with the waste from fossil fuels at the moment? (laughs) We just vent that into the atmosphere. Yeah. What's the? Pl- There's no plan there. That's just I can understand why it happened. You know, back in the day, industrial revolution and well before that. Oh, we burnt this. We get heat. We can use this.
1: <laughs> yeah. No was one was the, thinking
0: about that. It was the turning point for humanity. <laughs> yeah. No one was thinking about greenhouse gas emissions and climate change when they discovered <laughs> that coal burnt. It, it was. It was becoming much more of a. It was much more of a. We understood a lot more about it when we started a. Um, well, I suppose when we learned how to fish in the atom and we developed nuclear power and all of a sudden our waste was something that was tangible and mm-hmm. was a solid that you could say, there's the nuclear waste in that parking lot over there or in that reactor or in that spent yeah. fuel pool, it's very not much something that's visible. It's not something that's invisible greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. It's true. Mm. All right, we'll wrap up fairly soon. It's been very interesting, Aww. but... What do you think your, Sorry, your plan <laughs> What do you think your plan might be once you graduate? Do you have a particular thing in mind or are you still juggling possibilities?
1: Uh, I guess juggling possibilities is the answer, although I have no idea what the possibilities are. Do you still have
0: more study to do when you go back to the I US? do. I
1: graduate in May. Um, yeah, May twenty nineteen. So I have one more semester. So I've just finished my second to last semester. So, yeah. In the U.S., we have four years of university, typically. I know it's three here.
0: Oh, it depends what course you do. Um, some are three, some are four, some oh, are okay. ridiculous, and they're five. Five? Some are five if you fail a subject. <laughs> well, I might be there. doing five years. <laughs> <laughs> that would be... Uh... Many of us have been there. I've been there. Really? Yes, you it five have.
1: years of university?
0: I, I, no, I'll... I, I did fail a subject at one point and had to... Well, oh. I, I did some work part-time and came back to it, but yeah.
1: Everyone fails. It's okay. Yeah. If any of you guys are uni students, don't worry. It's okay to fail. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You should do your homework.
0: <laughs> Quite right. The fourth generation blog.
1: Yeah, the fourth generation blog. I have read some blog. of your articles on that. Yeah. Can you tell us
0: a little bit about the no, um, fourth generation please. blog?
1: Um, yeah, it's a blog that's... Well, it's a bunch of different experts and also students... Um, just who, kind of whoever wants to say something about nuclear or about um, advanced nuclear technologies and can put it together and it's um, kind of everyone writes like a 600 word post although I think Ben I think you might be guilty of writing 10 times longer than that but.
0: I, 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 would, I would refuse
1: to believe us. <laughs> I think you wrote like a 10,000 like, yeah, like 10,000 word blog post um, but everyone else has to write 600 words, and yeah, it's like every week or so, um, there's a new post, and it's kind of like insights, mixture of like insights, um, news, just whatever is going on that we think is important to know.
0: But it's not just related to what terrestrial energy is doing with an uh, it's Some sort of, of
1: it is. By all means,
0: but it's not restricted to that. Yeah, it's
1: well, they, it's like the fourth generation blog, so it's okay. like focus on advanced technologies but it's also there's also climate and um yeah just technology in general and the future the future for nuclear <laughs> just the future okay it's good. the future blog so yeah it's been fun i've just written a couple of things for that but
0: yeah um well it's been a lot of fun amelia team thank you very much for coming to speak <laughs> to us thanks so on much Valentine's for show. having
1: me this is a lot of fun no worries excellent <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening. Going Fishin' thanks Amelia for her contribution and wishes her well for her studies and future career. The 4th Generation blog is at fourthgeneration.energy. Several articles by Amelia are hosted there. Generation Atomic is found at www.generationatomic.org. Links are in the description for Eric Meyer's Clean Power Forever music video on YouTube, The MIT White Paper, entitled Potential Applications of the Modern Nuclear Fuel Cycle to South Australia, and the article Yellow Cake Whitewash. Please note that this article is paywalled. Thank you for listening. At Going is the podcast's Twitter handle. Australia is a young nation located on the far side of the world. Our history demonstrates we can stand up to injustice, admit when we are wrong, and muster the courage to act in spite of our fears. By no means are we perfect, but we often punch above our weight on the world stage. Today, our greatest challenge is not posed by international tensions, but from how humanity chooses to progress. We have everything we need to lead the world in making the right choice, and we only need to embrace the courage to do it. This has been Going Fishing, hosted by Logan Smith.